there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your host, Gala Avery. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Gala Show, where it's just you, me, and a topic of my choosing. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. As we round out 2023, I have watched a lot of movies, and I thought it'd be fun to bring you a bonus episode where I discuss both my favorite movies of 2023 and my top discoveries of the year. We'll start with my top discoveries of the year. Before we get into the topic, here are a few stats of my year courtesy of my letterbox page. In 2023, I logged 527 movies. That's almost 783 hours of cinema. I averaged 10 movies a week with Fridays being my day of choice to watch something. The very first movie I logged this year was Splinter. The 50th was Island of Fishmen. The 100th was Bad Moon. The 150th was Grizzly. The 200th was Fist of the Condor. The 250th was Cobra Mission. The 300th was Blackmail. The 400th was Dirty Harry. The 500th was Theater Camp. And the very last one was Ferrari. It's really fun looking back on these movies and remembering exactly where I was during the year and who I saw them with. My most watched film of the year was Winter Kills, which should be no surprise to anyone who knows me, I was obsessed. My most watched genre was horror with 184 films. My most watched theme was science fiction, creatures, and aliens, while for nano genre, it was gruesome, spooky cult. Roddy McDowell was my most watched star, while Brian Lenano wins for most watched director. Now that all those stats are out of the way, let's get into the movies. If you're interested in any of the titles that I end up talking about, check out justwatch.com to see where it's playing in your region. I'm trying to keep it spoiler free for those of you who have yet to discover these titles. Starting with my number 10 discovery of the year, Alligator, directed by Louis Teague. This movie is so much fun. I have a small film club with my friends where we do a round robin, and our member Ev from India recommended this movie to Ramon in the Philippines. It gave me the perfect excuse to check it out. He was the best guy around. What about the people he murdered? What murder? <laughs> I argue that this is a revenge-matic film and that the alligator is the hero of the story. He's taking revenge for all of the pets who have been abused, forgotten, tested on, and abandoned. And as an animal lover, I am rooting for him the entire time to fight the good fight. The scene where he cracks to the ground is brilliantly shot with awesome practical effects. Go, alligator, go! Number nine, House, directed by Nobuhiku Obayashi. Okay, you guys, I had heard how amazing this movie was, but I always put it off. Finally, I had the chance to see it on 35mm film at the Los Feliz 3, and it was well worth the wait. If you haven't seen it, this movie is the 
perfect amount of colorful kaleidoscopic camp mixed with traditional old world legends. If you have a chance to see it with friends in a theater, on Cinco de Mayo no less, do it! Or if there is no screening near you, turn down the lights and grab some popcorn. No matter how you watch it, you are going to still have a blast. It's beautifully shot, the sets work, the lighting is divine, and yes, I cried at its beauty. Number 8, Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann. Wow, I was not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. To be honest, I went in completely blind and didn't realize that it was a Hannibal Lecter story. I think it might be my favorite out of the ones I've seen. Yes, even more than Silence of the Lambs, and Clarice is based off of one of my favorite detectives, Candace DeLong. I love murder mysteries, I love crime thrillers, and I love stories about the relationships between men. Manhunter delivers. My favorite parts of the movie, though, are the romantic moments between Tom Noonan and Joan Allen. The way that man shoots Noonan's misunderstanding, which sets his character off on a path of destruction, it's absolutely gorgeous, and I see tools that he learned from the keep in these scenes. Number 7, The Pied Piper, directed by Jacques Demy. This was a weird one. I have a friend Chad who shows a movie every night and he has a big list to choose from. I chose this on a whim and when we all sat down to watch it, I was shocked to discover that it was a period piece musical starring Donovan. First off, Donovan's voice is great. I have this weird connection to him because of my father. Colors by Donovan is used in the split screen sequence in Rules of Attraction. So I really love his music. I also always thought about the Pied Piper story being really terrifying as a kid. And when you see the fable told by Jacques Demy, who is responsible for one of my favorite melancholy musicals, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, the Pied Piper becomes, well, a tale of longing and suffering. It's beautifully done, and perhaps one of my favorite period pieces I have ever seen in my life. Number six, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, directed by Lou Adler. This movie was assigned to me in my film club round Robin by Frankie, and he knows how much I loved it. I literally fell in love with Ray Winstone for like three months and was trying to date a guy who looked just like him because I could not get this movie out of my head. The Fabulous Stains is electric and reminds me of one of my other favorite movies, Gillian Armstrong's Starstruck. It's so punk rock and depicts how high the highs are and how low the lows will be. The end always makes me scratch my head and causes me to ask myself if I would do the same. And honestly, like a few other movies I'll mention on my list, is an excellent depiction of grief and how different people process it through art. Number five, Dirty Harry, directed by Don Siegel. I know what you're thinking. Gala, you hadn't seen Dirty Harry before? Shocking, I know. I'm not going to chat about this movie too much because me watching it is actually courtesy of my future Gala show episode discussion with writer Josh Olson. But I have to give a shout out to Andrew Robinson. He's amazing in everything he does, but the Trekkie in me was so excited when I realized who he was. I was staring at him the entire movie trying to figure out where I knew him from, but then it hit me. That's Elam Garrick from Deep Space Nine. God, this movie is great, and just thinking about the football stadium sequence makes me want to watch it all over again. Number four, Road Games, directed by Richard Franklin. My dad really wanted to cover Road Games on video archives, so I had been holding off. But When it didn't make season one, my dad and I watched it on Arrow together, and it became my number one select for my first volume. I am in love with Stacey Keach. I think at a certain point you'll be able to pinpoint my very eclectic type based on all of the men from the 70s and 80s that I fawn over, but basically Keach is where it's at. The whole dynamic of the dingo is something I think about constantly now, and this is definitely my favorite role from Jamie Lee Curtis. I Almost wish I had never seen Road Games so I could watch it for the first time all over again. 
Number three, Showgirls by Paul Verhoeven. I went to go see this with my friend Tim Nato at the Los Feliz 3 because for all my big talk about how much I love Verhoeven, I had never seen it. Oh my gosh, you guys, Showgirls is rad. Like, what the heck? I've heard people poo-poo this movie for so long, saying it's ridiculous and bad. No, it's just fun and European. It's a wild ride. Like the ketchup scene, oh my gosh. Gina Gershon is so hot in the movie. Robert Dobby is iconic. His lines are amazing. And don't get me started talking about Kyle McLaughlin's very cute butt. It's not Versace. It's Versace. But that's not the only Paul Verhoeven movie that made the list. And number two, I've got The Fourth Man. Yes, I could not decide between these movies on the list because both are just that good. Actually, I think The Fourth Man is now my favorite in Verhoeven's filmography. This is the best movie about storytelling that has ever been made, and yes, I mean that. When I watched it, I understood exactly what it was saying, because it was everything I had ever attempted to vocalize about my own creative process. I would love to see this as a double feature with The Third Man, but I don't think The Fourth Man is an attempt at a sequel, but rather a retelling of a classic story. I can't say enough good things about this fever dream bisexual erotic thriller, so just go watch it. Number one, a movie I never expected to like, but I could not take my eyes off the screen. I go to this local video store called Be Kind Video in Burbank, and I pick movies off the $5 shelf. Then over the next few weeks or months or even years, whenever I want to watch something, I just pick up one that jumps out at me and I pop it into my VCR. I picked this movie in particular because honestly, I didn't want something I had to pay attention to, but I ended up being hooked. Blue Crush, directed by John Stockwell, was so good that it compelled me to actually write a letterbox review explaining my infatuation, which I never do. I have a very personal story with this movie because Kate Bosworth was also in Rules of Attraction, and as a kid, I went to the Blue Crush party and Tony Hawk was writing a half pipe. Weird, I know, it feels like a phantom memory, but it really did happen. I always thought this movie was going to be, you know, whatever, but honestly, this is everything that I wanted Point Break to be. Yeah, I said it. This movie has no right being this good. It's hands down my favorite Michelle Rodriguez role. The plot subverts expectation, character archetypes are flipped. The story encapsulates the struggle a woman has between her sexuality and her dreams. Did the waitress from Denny's feel the same way? Does it matter? Is friendship my number one favorite thing in the world? Yes. Is Eden in love with Anne or are they just the closest of friends? It'll just be you and the one other girl out there. What do you want? What do you really want? Let's take a snack break. I'll be back with 2023 after these messages. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we are back with my 2023 wrap-up. 
yes, 2023 was a year. My criteria for the following movies is pretty simple. I had to have obviously seen the movie in 2023, but it's important to note, I go by the theatrical release date when available rather than the festival engagements. I want to thank everyone who gave me recommendations on what to watch this year. I opened it up on my Instagram in December, and you guys gave me some really great movies, and I watched as many as I could. Some of them even made this list, so thank you for broadening my horizons. I also missed a lot of movies this year, honestly. It was either due to a lack of interest, I missed my window of opportunity, or I knew the movie just wasn't made for me. Some big ones that I didn't see so they won't be included on my list are Iron Claw, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Monster, and Killers of the Flower Moon. Before I get into the list, I want to give a special shout out to The Killer by David Fincher. It's a crime that this movie was a streamy because it's meant for the big screen. If I had seen this in theaters, it would have made my list, but it just didn't do it for me at home. As always, I'll try to keep it spoiler free for these titles as some have just recently been released. Starting at number 10, Godzilla Minus One, directed by Takashi Yamazaki. I haven't liked any of the recent live action Godzilla movies. Shin Godzilla was more of a look into bureaucracy and Godzilla 2014 just didn't do it for me. Godzilla Minus One, on the other hand, was an incredibly moving grief piece. Despite its 123 minute runtime, the movie flew by. I love the family that was formed and at every twist and turn, my heart was pulled in another direction. The main character's question of, is he actually alive or is he dead, was a fantastic way to frame the Godzilla story. Is he in purgatory for the actions that he refused to commit? After watching the movie, I actually think he might be. Number nine, Rye Lane, directed by Rain Allen Miller. This movie was really touching, cheeky, and not at all what I expected. It's a sweet little rom-com about two people who have just gone through a breakup of their own and come together on Rye Lane to heal. Some of the scenes, especially the one with the double date, were hilariously relatable, and I loved how the characters redeemed themselves and grow into the people they are supposed to become. Number eight, When Evil Lurks, directed by Demian Rugna. I saw this in theaters, and to be honest, it was shocking. Like, every time I thought it could not get any worse, it got worse, and then it got even worse than that, and then some more. People walked out. It is so incredibly bleak and disgusting. I love the practical effects and how you are immediately just thrown into the world to drown in it. They don't throw you a life preserver by explaining anything. You just have to go with it. Normally, I don't like bleak endings, but When Evil Lurks stayed with me for months. Number seven, Talk To Me, directed by Michael Philippou and Danny Philippou. Man, I had low to none expectations for this one, and to be honest, I'm not quite sure why. Mick Garris told me it was the one movie of the year I should be checking out. Well, I'm glad I listened to him because this was pretty rad. In my spare time, I study the written works of Fred Gettings, a British author who focuses on the arcana, and there was a good amount of accurate demonology slash diaka activity going on in this movie. I'm not quite sure if the Philippus studied this kind of thing or if they just had a really kick-ass idea, but it was really intense for me. Also, it doesn't help that I totally had a self-insert character, a big sister who was a little bit of a buzzkill because she wants to follow the rules and stay safe, who has Axel F by Crazy Frog as her ringtone. Yeah, I related to her way too much in this movie. So when the whole thing with the little brother happened, I was horrified. Number six, Anatomy of a Fall, directed by Justine Trier. I'm a mother FMPIMP. The fact that this movie opens with a link to a poll that you can vote on whether or not the main character is guilty, didshedoit.com, is pretty brilliant because I did recall this and I cast my vote and left a comment after the fact. 
Not all of my friends liked this movie as much as I did. Actually, a lot of them really did not care for it in the slightest, but I was gripped by this story. Again, I love true crime, and I felt drawn into the courtroom sequence. The way they unfolded her relationship with her husband always left me with more questions, and Sandra Huller is fantastic in this. But the real star of the show is Mila Mahano-Graner, who plays Daniel. His performance on the stand brought a tear to my eye and proved to me that no, she did not do it. Number five, Blackberry, directed by Matt Johnson. You guys, this was awesome. I missed it in theaters and I'm kicking myself for it, but I'm so glad that I caught it streaming. Matt Johnson is a fantastic director and his comedic timing is top notch. Nirvana the band the show is some of the funniest television in recent years. Even though Matt Johnson feels like he's, well, just playing Matt Johnson, it somehow works. Jay Baruchel gives such a great performance and Glenn Howerton is completely transformed in this role. These founder movies can be a bit boring as bricks, but the script brings a complexity between the three male characters that is perfectly balanced. Also, Sungwon Cho randomly showed up and he was really amazing in his role. It's great, and it makes me want to check out the miniseries. Number four, I Like Movies, directed by Chandler Levac. It's a crime against cinema that this movie is not widely available. I'm really lucky that my friend had a copy, and for anyone who grew up in the video store era, this movie is for you. The film follows a socially inept 17-year-old cinephile named Lawrence as he transitions from high school to college. There are some incredibly uncomfortable moments in the movie, but they are so raw and real that you're reminded that this is what life is made of. Percy Hines-White gives a realistic performance of the exhausted best friend of a guy who has main character syndrome, and Isaiah Linton kills it with raw power. It poses the question of why we keep the friends we do and depicts exactly what it feels like to grow up at any age. It's scary, but it's exciting. Plus, there's a wall of rules of attraction DVDs, so what's not to love? Number three, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Y'all, everyone has been silent about this movie come December, and it is time to rectify that. Say what you want, but this was killer on the big screen. The motorcycle jump into free dive was breathtaking. We waited for it for so long. We were so hyped by the YouTube video. And the Fiat chase had my mom laughing so hard that her sides hurt. When my family went to see it, this older couple behind us was on a date. He wined and dined her, drinks, appetizers, main course, and dessert. And they were having the time of their lives. It was infectious. I love Tom Cruise. I think he's the last great action hero, and I cannot wait for part two. All right. I never expected to like this movie, let alone watch it. But somehow, No Hard Feelings, directed by Gene Stupinski, is stealing the number two spot on my list. I avoided this movie because it seemed like a raunchy rom-com. And yeah, it is. I heard about a fully frontal nude scene with Jennifer Lawrence, and her character is dating a barely 18 guy. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's for me. My friend Frankie told me that I should watch it. Yes, the same Frankie who gave me The Fabulous Stains, so I was obligated to pop it on. Comedy is my least favorite genre because it's easier for me to cry at a movie than laugh, but oh my god. I'm so glad I wasn't in a theater because at around 30 minutes in, I was laughing so hard I had to clutch my jaw to shut it. Jennifer Lawrence is amazing in this movie. Her comedic timing is spot on, and the script is absolutely unhinged. The nude scene isn't anything like I imagined, and if you haven't seen it, I can't spoil it for you because it's worth watching and just going in and just experiencing it. The real discovery, though, for me was Andrew Barth Feldman. 
He plays an amazing straight man against Lawrence's insanity. These two balance each other out perfectly, and it makes for a movie that I am so glad I didn't miss. Number one, Theater Camp, directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. Thank you to Zach for recommending this one to me. This movie is so incredibly touching that I watched it once on my own, and then during my family's solstice celebration. I wept both times. Now that I'm here talking about the movie, I don't really know what to say about it. I kept on trying to write something that encapsulated how much this movie meant to me, but every time I write something, it just doesn't do my feelings justice. I guess I'll just keep it short and sweet by telling you that I was a theater kid, and I went to theater camp, and it was some of the best times that I ever had. My theater teacher, Mr. Street, was one of the greatest adult forces in my life, and I knew exactly what these kids in this movie feel like when their sanctuary is threatened. Theater camp is exactly that. It's where the weird kids gather together and find themselves, and find other people who are just like them. Camp isn't home, but is it kind of? Kind of, it is? I think it kind of is. And that's it for today. Thanks everyone for making 2023 a really great year. I appreciate all of the love, support, input, advice, mentoring, and suggestions that I receive from you. I know that 2024 is going to be an even better year. Before I sign off, I wanted to take a moment to talk about my New Year's movie resolution. I saw a lot this year, and I don't want to stop watching movies, but I do want to slow down a little bit. It's okay to admit that. My main goal is to see more movies in theaters when they come out rather than stream them later at home. I have an AMC pass, which, by the way, if you're in the U.S., it's a great deal. So I'm going to try to do at least three movies a week in theaters next year and fill the rest of my time with other things I like to do museums, jazz, friends, photography, and everything else that life has to offer, because there is a lot to be thankful for. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery, signing out for today. See you on Thursday for our regularly scheduled programming. Happy New Year, everyone! The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.